Welcome to the Lion's Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by a student of Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Sunday service. Okay, so I'm going to be giving a little bit of a talk about Buddhism in the 21st century and what it is and what it is not and how to practice in modern times. So I came up with the subject of this talk based on some questions that I've gotten over time. Uh, I've been practicing for about five years and some uh, themes kind of keep coming up. So I thought that it would be a good idea to just address some of those things. Uh, So the first thing that I want to talk about is the misconception that being a Buddhist and practicing Dharma means that you're just okay with anything that's going on in the world. So um, like you're watching the news and you just say, oh, that's just so horrible. Oh, my goodness. Well, they're probably just suffering or, oh, gosh, you know, that guy blew up that train station and he probably just had a really bad childhood. I mean, it's it's totally, you know, it's it's too bad. Or, oh, I'm, I'm sorry that you're lying to me multiple times, and I'm just going to be okay with it because I understand that, you know, you, you're having a rough time right now. So um, I don't know how much of that sounds familiar, but that's kind of the perception that some people have of what it means to practice Buddhism. But in actuality, um, we have boundaries, and they're compassionate boundaries, but we do have them. Um, the concept of pure view in Dharma can be muddled if you're not familiar with how what is going on relates to virtue and non-virtue and how what is happening uh, relates to the precepts. So uh, the precepts don't really apply to only what we're doing, but they also apply to what other people are doing. So they help us to discern boundaries about what's okay and what's not okay with us. And right view is the first thing that is mentioned in the the Eightfold Path, but it's also kind of the last thing that is mentioned in the Eightfold Path. So really, you have to make sure that in whatever approach that you're taking to your life and to how, you know, whatever's going on with you, that you have the right view and that you're not just, you know, sitting back and just letting things happen. You you should be taking a stance on certain things. We have to look at conventional truths when we're setting our boundaries, and we have to be able to point out that something someone's doing is to either to us or another person is wrong, and it's not up to us to decide whether the person themselves are a good bodhisattva or the person themselves is, is creating bad karma or the person themselves is a good person, but it is up to us to decide whether or not their actions are actually good actions or bad actions. Um, so it's important that you set these boundaries and that you should be able to say to somebody, you know, I know you're hurting. I know you're having a rough time right now, but you lying to me over and over again is not okay with me. This isn't going to work for me. Or, um, you know, multiple examples of that. You just, you just have to make sure that you're, you're doing that, that you can practice compassion. You can have love for other people, but you also have to make sure that you're, you're okay with what's going on or not okay. Um, it's also important that when you're setting these boundaries that you don't let the issues fester 
and then all of a sudden just unleash on somebody because you're upset with whatever they're doing. I am really bad at this. This is something that I'm working on. I just kind of let things build up and then I just kind of let it go. So I apologize to my friends and family that are here because I've been victims of that, unfortunately. Um, but also, you know, it, it, boundary setting shouldn't be making um, like a snap, you know, you know, snapping at people whenever they, they step out of line. It shouldn't be like, well, that's not okay with me. That's not okay with me. I mean, that's not the right, the right approach either. So you kind of have to make sure that you're, you're somewhere in the middle. So that's kind of the, the right approach to setting boundaries with people. Um, compassionate boundaries also include um, boundaries for yourself. So making sure that compassion for yourself is also part of the picture because compassion is not limited to just you giving to other people. It's including you. And so you have to make sure that you're taking a step back and that you're recognizing your own needs. And I know that, you know, with especially uh, being a parent, and we, we talk about this a lot as mothers, that you have to make sure that you're, you're taking care of yourself. And um, you have to examine your intent if you're not, because it can go too far the other way. Um, if you're doing so much, you know, practice or compassion for other people that you're not taking care of yourself, you know, that's kind of having a little bit of an attachment to merit, to, to creating merit. I mean, that, that's also not a great thing. So you just have to be, you know, make sure that you're, you're practicing and that your intent is, is correct when you're setting your boundaries. So, again, it's not really about extremes. It's about finding the right balance. So... That's a little bit about um, compassion and boundaries. Um, does anybody have any questions about that particular thing? No? Do you have any questions? Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, speaking of intent, let's talk about karma a little bit. So karma is one of those topics that is, it's a Dharma word that's tossed around a lot in our society, like what goes around comes around, karma's a bitch, karma's going to bite you in the ass, like those, those kinds of things actually, you know, we hear a lot about that. And uh, most of the references to karma are like a negative connotation. Um, but karma, it doesn't really work like that. Um, karma is like tiny seeds that are planted. Uh, and some of these seeds ripen in your life today, but sometimes they're from 5,000 lifetimes ago. So something happening that's manifesting now doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that you did yesterday or that you did last week. Um, you all, it also works the other way where if you have favorable conditions, um, this could be, you know, uh, something that you did in, in, in a prior time. You know, the, the merit that you created is manifesting itself now. So that's an important reminder, too, that when you're creating merit in this life, you're not necessarily going to see immediate results. So sometimes you have to understand that the reason that you're creating this merit uh, is for now, but it's also for future. It's, it's not necessarily something that's going to be immediate. Um, so uh, what does that all mean? So um, we're really fortunate to have Lama, and as a refuge Sangha, he uh, kind of gave us a little bit of, a, uh, of information about it and how to look at karma. And um, intent is really everything when it comes down to karma. That's one of the most important things that you can think about when you're thinking about your, the karmic uh, repercussions of whatever you're doing. Um, 
we're not enlightened beings, at least most of us don't think we are, but, um, we, but when we do things, we have mixed intent. So sometimes you don't necessarily know the intent behind why you're doing something, and sometimes you're doing something and you think you have the right intent, but underneath it, you have a completely different reason for it. And so the, the karmic uh, implication of that um, is a little bit mixed. So that's generally kind of where we're at. But sometimes we definitely know the intent behind some of the actions that we're taking. So that's really important to think about when in any in anything that you're doing. So you really just have to examine, you know, why am I doing this? Why exactly is this happening? Or why why am I reacting this way? Uh, so for example, um, take the last time that you lied to somebody and you're, maybe some of you are saying, well, I don't really lie or that was just a little white lie and that one doesn't count. But... Um, it, it does count, and it, you will have some kind of a repercussion for that. Um, in our tradition, we recognize that we have created some kind of non-virtuous action by lying. Um, in, our, in an attempt to purify the unfavorable conditions, we might do vajrasafa practice, and we might say, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I understand that I did this, but I'm, I'm just going to make it better. Um, but when you realize, you know, the, the karmic implications of, of lying, you have to think about, um, you know, initially when you lied to a person, and then they found out about it. So how much worse is that when they find out about it? Because usually it's, it's worse than the actual thing that you did. And that's kind of how it works when, when, you're, when you're building on something like that. Um, so we also with, with karma and with your actions, no one's really going to be able to save you from the things that you are doing. So it doesn't really work like confession where you say, okay, I know I did all these things. I'm just going to do a little Vajrasafa over here and it's all going to go away and everything's going to be great. Like I have an appointment at eight o'clock and I'm ready to go. That's not necessarily how it works. You will have repercussions for everything. It's just Vajrasafa helps to purify them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to get rid of all of it. And you may not see it, you know, in this lifetime, maybe sometime in the future. So, um, that's a little bit about karma, and you can't vajrasafa your way out of being a jerk. So <laughs> that's kind of how it works. Um, so yeah, does anybody have any questions about that particular piece? No? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the next thing that I want to talk about a little bit is um, spiritual materialism. And speaking of uh, practice and what that looks like, so this book is one of the first books that Lama wanted me to read. And I wasn't really sure why, but I kind of got the idea really quickly. Um, so it seems like in, our, in the age of consumer culture, that when we have a Buddha statue in our house, and we're shopping at the co-op, and we're doing yoga, and we're meditating, that we are the best Buddhists ever. Like, that is all it takes. That, that's it. I mean, we, we have it down. Um, also, you know, something that kind of comes up in our culture is this um, concept of instant enlightenment. Like, oh, I'm going to do uh, some psychedelic mushrooms and do a little DMT, have this experience, and realize that we're all connected and that we're all great, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to be enlightened, and that's it. I mean, that, that, that's what it's all about. Uh, so that's not really how it works. And um, 
I was the first to admit that five years ago, I called myself a Buddhist by this definition. And when I first met Lama, I was really in a bad place. And my dad had just died, and I uprooted my family and moved across the country, and I had quit my job, and so I was all out of sorts. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go see a Buddhist therapist because he's Buddhist, I'm a Buddhist, I feel like he's going to get me, we're going to get each other. And when I went to visit Lama, um, he just told me point blank, you drink too much and you got to stop doing that. And you're, you're never, you're not actually a Buddhist. You're not practicing the Dharma. You just, you're pretending. And that's not really how it works. And I thought to myself, like, that's absolutely ridiculous. I have my Buddha statue. I wear my mala to the bar. I'm doing my hot yoga. Like, this is how, this is what I do. And how, how, who are you to tell me that I'm not a good Buddhist practitioner? Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. And so I, I left. So I didn't see Lama for a couple of years. And a couple of years later, um, I came back when my husband was basically threatening to leave with our kids. And I said, okay, Lama, you were right. Like, I got to get it together. I really need to work on this so I can see what you're talking about and really get serious about my Dharma practice because you can't really do your Dharma practice without clarity. I mean, in, in every text, it talks about clear mind and how, how all of that works together in being able to see the truth. And so that piece of information and, and, and sobriety has absolutely changed my life. And I am here now, five years later, and thank you, Lama, for that. So, yeah, that's kind of how it works. Um, so spiritual materialism is defined as deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're developing spirituality when in fact we're strengthening our egocentricity through spiritual techniques. And you can read all you want about the Dharma, you can be the most learned scholar of all of your friends in Sangha, but if you're not doing it for the benefit of others and your intention is not right, you're not, it's, not the right, it's not the right focus. And it also can't really be a self-improvement project. Like you're not, you're not practicing the Dharma to just get a better self. You, you're practicing the Dharma to learn, but it's really to benefit everybody. You're learning for the sake of helping. You're learning for the sake of developing compassion. And, that is, and that's, what it, that's what it's about. Um, so in the 21st century, it's this is kind of everywhere, and it's really, really oh, that's okay. Hello. Okay, thank you. Oh, oh, okay, thank you. Oh, thank you. okay, thank you. That's okay. Um, it's really important to check your ego when you're practicing the Dharma because you can make this an ego thing. And it's very easy to do. You can, you know, start creating all of this merit, and you can say, "Okay, I'm I'm helping people. I'm doing all these great things because I'm creating merit, merit for the future." But that's that's not really the focus. It's really to benefit all sentient beings. That is really the focus of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, so it also should bring you closer to your community and closer to everybody in your life. And you shouldn't discern between people that you like and people that you don't like. People that you don't like are, are 
all part of having compassion for everybody. It should be equal for every single person. Every single sentient being is included. It's not just the people that you like. It's not just your friends and family. So you have to think about that and check in and check in with your motivation about why you're doing what you're doing. So like when you wake up in the morning and you check your phone, you should check your motivation and say, okay, today, I, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to do some bodhisattva work today and he, here's, here's what's on the agenda. But also, it's, it's not, it doesn't really just stop with intention. You actually have to close the loop on it and actually do it. And so at the end of your day, you can check in with yourself and say, you know what, like, I, I really don't think I did that great today. I started off and my intention was good, but really I got mad at that guy, called him an a-hole. Like, that's not exactly the best thing to do. So, you know, maybe I should check myself. So that's really what it's about. It's just constant checking in with yourself and making sure that you're practicing for the right reasons and that it's not just about, you know, gaining something, learning something, you know, collecting, collecting the dharma that's not necessarily what it is so that's what i had to say for this portion all right so we can't uh talk about the dalai lama and not talk about compassion dalai lama is all about compassion and it's something that he's very um you know passionate about and developing compassion is one of those things that it takes, it takes some practice. Um, compassion, you know, you can't just project compassion onto somebody. Um, it kind of has to come from deep inside. So, you know, that feeling like when you love somebody, that warm feeling comes deep inside your body. Like, it, you really feel it. It's a warmth. It's something that is... It, it just kind of bubbles up naturally. You don't have to think about it. It just happens. And that's exactly how uh, generating compassion for other people works the same way. So when you, you have to feel it bubbling up and you have to just let it go and it's not something that's forced and uh, it's not something that you can just say, oh, I'm going to have compassion for that person. It, just, it has to be really something that, that is cultivated and developed. And so I have a little exercise that um, I want to do. So uh, if you could all pick a partner, um, that would be great. So say hello to your neighbor, introduce yourself. If somebody you don't know, that's totally fine. Even better. Do we all have partners? Does anybody need a partner still that wants a partner? Okay. All right. When we're ready. <laughs> okay. So I want you to look into the eyes of your partner. <laughs> Sometimes this is hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> and while, while you're looking in the eyes of your partner, <laughs> I know, sorry guys, uh, I want you to recognize that this person also wants happiness, just like you. 
this person doesn't want to suffer just like you. And I want to take this a step further and hope that you'll remember this as you leave here today. The person that you're looking at has been your mother. The person that you're looking at has been your father. The person that you're looking at has been your best friend, your husband, your wife, and your partner. This person has done so many things for you, an immeasurable amount. And you might be thinking to yourself, wow, how could I repay somebody who's done so much for me? The best thing that you can do for this person is to develop love for them. Develop true compassion and a desire for them to have a good long life and freedom from suffering. Develop this love and compassion for all beings, not just the one you might have just met, and not just humans. This is the same for every single sentient being on this planet. This is their true nature. This is who they really are. Try to remember this. Exercise. The next time you get angry with someone, remember that they were your mother and your father. Remember that you love them. And remember that the most important thing that you can do in this lifetime is to generate that loving kindness for all. So thanks for participating in that exercise. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Just a couple more comments, and I'll close, and I'll leave it to Lama to finish. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you for So you can read more about equanimity in this book, The Kindness of Others, about the seven-point mind trading, or Lojong talks a lot about this um, equanimity and developing compassion for, for everyone. Uh, as many of you are aware, it's the Dalai Lama's birthday, and we're all here to celebrate him and wish him a long life. I'm not sure how many of you uh, saw yesterday, um, there was a, a video that he did, and he uh, had some requests for his birthday. So he said that if we truly love him, that we should keep in mind these three commitments. Wherever you live, try to create compassion, a compassionate atmosphere, compassionate society, and religious harmony. He also wishes for us to share the Dharma, whether people believe or don't believe, that we try to pass along these teachings as we would an academic subject. They're just as important. And he would like us to practice and pay more attention and check in with ourselves. And he said, these are the best gifts that we can give him for his birthday. So with that, I'll leave it to Lama. Yeah, thank you. Is, my, is this working too? Thank you. Yeah. yeah so... Uh, Doing an eye-gazing compassion exercise, that's, that is really uh, 21st century dharma. You wouldn't do this in Asia. <laughs> so it's great. No, this is what we're doing here. <clears throat> uh, also, like, another 21st century dharma is like, Piotr, for my birthday, give me this spinner. And it's like, <laughs> it's like little, little 
uh, mini prayer wheel. You know, that's a big thing in, in, in India, Tibet, is their prayer wheels. We have a small one just outside our side door, but maybe we'll have a whole money wheel like against the cottage, for example, and you move across it. So right now we have a, a spinner, Dharma spinner. It's great. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's nice. So other um, American Dharma things uh, that uh, we brought into the temple uh, in martial arts training with uh, Robert Nakashima and some people know I've done Tai Chi with him a long time and now I'm trying to learn uh, Sanchin Karate very uh, training with Robert is uh, very traditional he doesn't always say that's a great job so, but I'm used to that, so it's good, and I'm learning. So I want to say I'm doing that. Uh, it's important to uh, stay uh, in our bodies. As long as we have a body, let's stay in it, right? So the other program that we're um, initiating here in the temple is uh, fitness recovery. So uh, my trainer, Emily's here, and... We're going to start around 1.30, something like that, and, and do very, uh, uh, maybe gentle workout, because we're not wearing our workout clothes. But uh, I want that program to grow so we at least can meet a couple of times a month. Uh, I call it uh, fitness recovery because it also has to do with recovering from uh, bad habits, from recovering from unhealthy habits, whether they're addictions, of the mind or the body or the soul. So I'm really delighted uh, she's here today. So we're, we're going to meet back in the community room. So if, if you want to participate in that, don't stuff yourself too much, you know, like that. Um, it's a big deal. We've run that through the Middleway Health Foundation. Um, a few years ago, we did it at uh, my gym, uh, Be Stronger. Uh, but uh, now we can do it here. So uh, I want to offer that to people. So I, I know a few people that have done in the past are here and are going to show up, and, and I'll be there too. We're on some street clothes, but I think I'll stay in my robes. Because in the monastery, you know, people are playing, kids are playing soccer in their robes, right? And in their robes, the monks are, are building houses and stuff. They're mixing cement and they're building things, and they just. They don't have the, the Zen, this, the shawl on, but they're just working, right? Did you know that? They don't put on the... There's, yeah, it's just your work, your work robes. There's no work clothes. That's it. You're just doing <clears throat> And then uh, also, uh, right afterwards, I'd like to meet with those people that want uh, to participate in, in book clubs. So I noticed that uh, uh, Harriet's here, someone that looks very much like her. <laughs> And so Elizabeth's here. So, and where's Morris? Morris, you've got to come to book club. So we'll just meet in my office briefly, and you have to come up with that. But please get a snack, stay. So this is all very, very modern Dharma, but traditional at the same time. Uh, so uh, I'm not making anything up on my own. So I always say, to like 
Jaja Rinpoche, or who's very much behind the recovery program here, which is another very Dharma program. Mindful recovery has been going how many years now? How many years have we done mindful recovery? Ten, at least. Yeah, I started on Watt Avenue, so probably, probably Peter and Michael remember those times, right? It's fantastic. So I like to surround myself with people that want to take care of their body, speech, and mind, and I like to surround myself with, with people that uh, go through traditional 12-step recovery or some other form of recovery because they practice more, they stay longer, they're easier to get along with. You know, but also we welcome everybody that just wants to start doing Dharma, wants to get into recovery. Just like, you know, it's said in AA, the sole requirement is the desire, just the desire to stop, right? Isn't that right? Yeah. So it's not like you're perfect before you come, but there's that desire. And in that, uh, we, we call it in Sanskrit and Buddhist things, bodhicitta the desire to wake up and be free, not only for ourselves, but for others. So if you want to help others, the best way is to be actually clean and sober and healthy ourselves, right? <laughs> and awake, you know? Alive is the best way to help others. So we're professional bodhisattvas here. Um, so I invite people to stay for uh, fitness recovery and uh, check in with book club and eat something and and get to know Emily. It's interesting. She's, you know, you know, sitting next to Kathy. So the two trainers, certified trainers in the room, got to meet each other. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So that's very good. <clears throat> so I appreciate the talk, Elizabeth. Uh, very organized and hits essential points. You know, karma, compassion, spiritual materialism. You know, this. Uh, the strong points, right? With a sense of humor. It's good. Yeah. And the whole family shows up to hear. That's a good sign. <laughs> okay. So we're going to take a few minutes to do practices for Dalai Lama. Uh, long practices. This is important when doing Lama Naljor, Guru Yoga. We're, we're giving uh, praise and we're giving aspirations uh, to the Dalai Lama, but these are actually aspirations and prayers for these qualities, right? So we're not praising an outside human being that's existing outside of us. We're praising and emulating one for someone who's mentoring those, who's acting as a role model. But uh, just praising Dalai Lama uh, without doing the practice ourselves, that'd be ridiculous, right? So the reason we say nice things about our gurus is, is, is so that we develop those qualities ourselves, right? So we find people that have the qualities that we like, that we are attracted to, that are healthy, and then we pledge to develop them ourselves. So it said, it said in the program, uh, uh, newcomers should want what we have, right? And sharing our experience and our, you know, hope, you know. So uh, that's that's why we do the Guru Yoga. So the Dalai Lama actually, as a person, doesn't need your praise, right? Doesn't need that. The Buddhas don't need 
any prostration, right? You're doing it for yourselves, right? <laughs> the, the statues aren't going to eat the food, right? <laughs> so we make offerings so we develop those qualities. We make the offerings so we develop generosity. So, uh, mm, do, do people have enough uh, of these? Yeah, okay. So this one um, is from one of my teachers who uh, uh, is, is with us in a new incarnation, but this is his former one, Dujim uh, Rinpoche. This is very short, right? So the first page is Prayer for a Long Life. His Holiness Dalai Lama, I'll, I'll read out, and you can read together or silently. Amidst a billionfold constellations of holders of the teachings, you are incomparable like a radiant sun of wisdom and love a guardian for those in the land of snows and all who dwell in the southern continent of Jamudvipa. May your life be secure, I pray. So this I pray for all of you here in the room today. May you all become holders of the teachings. May you all become incomparable and radiant with wisdom and love, right? May you all live well and may you all have fun in Jamudvipa. That means like apple blossom land. That's, that's our, our land, right? Okay. So this next one's a little bit longer, right? Now this is the teaching in and of itself. We'll do it together. The melody of the nectar of immortality, a prayer for the long life, is Holiness 14th Dalai Lama, Supreme Victor, and Omniscient One, Om Swasti. The vast love and primordial wisdom of the Buddhas, you are embodied in Lokeshvara, white like a dazzling snow mountain, sublime and holy lord of the world, you are its emanation, a guru for each and every being in the three realms. May you be victorious, wondrous and without equal in the three worlds, omniscient and as unique as the Udambara flower, great crown jewel for the teachings and all beings on earth, supreme victorious one, holder of the lotus, I pray for your long life. Always and forever enlightened, yet in this age of conflict, you gather living beings within your embrace. You resolve in your commitment, unshakable like a vajra, O great Lord of the Tenth Bhumi, I pray for your long life. All the realizations of the stages of the path to enlightenment are emerged as one with your secret body, speech, and mind, your qualities of knowledge and love inconceivable. Second Buddha of the North, I pray for your long life. Of teaching, debate, and composition, your mastery is unimpaired. And the eight great treasures of brilliance have opened wide, with a specific perfect understanding, you teach the Dharma. You are victorious in every direction. I pray for your long life. Through your explanation, accomplishment, and activity, you spread the enlightened Tsongkhapa's precious teaching in a hundred directions, annihilating the deluded arguments of malicious opponents. Fearless lion of speech, Manjushri, I pray for your long life. In the secret mantra's gradual path of the triple vision and triple tantra, as the four mandalas are absorbed through the profound yogas of the four empowerments, you realize directly the wisdom of the four kayas. All-pervading Lord Vajrada, I pray for your long life. Mahamudra is the natural state of all things, profound emptiness and clarity, indivisible. With the sunlight of its innate wisdom, you dispel the darkness of samsara and nirvana. Great Lord of Yogans, Milarepa, I pray for your long life. From the treasury of all the mysteries of the ocean of Tantras, you make the exquisite water of the four of the that mature and liberate, 
flow into the fields of fortunate disciples. Vajrapani, Lord of Secrets, I pray for your long life. Everything in samsara and nirvana occurs as a play of interdependence, arising yet primordially unborn, a state of utter peace. Wise teacher of this profound banyamaka that is free from all conceptual elaboration. Lord of Nagas, Nargajuna, I pray for your long life. Kulike Pundarika, skilled and perfect exponent of the Kala Chakra, with its inseparable outer, inner, and alternate cycles, has appeared in the land of Tibet in the form of a spiritual friend. You who are essence, the original Buddha, Kala Chakra, I pray for your long life. All phenomena of samsara and nirvana are the expanse of the sphere of luminosity, unfluctuating spontaneously great perfection. In self-liberation, beyond all action, you attain the kingdom of fruition. Primordial Lord, Samantabhadra, I pray for your long life. Fearless and without mixing or confusing them, you steer onwards the great chariot of all the Buddhist teachings, sole refuge for the teachings and for all beings. Lord Tenzin Gatsa, I pray for your long life. A hundred times with reverence and awe, the jeweled heads of the mighty ones of the three worlds bow to the auspicious wheels of your lotus feet. Great sovereign of Dharma, I pray for your long life. Gods, annihilating the demonic forces of the Shuras with a hundred-pointed vajra of power, energy, and strength, destroying the rocky mountains of wrong and perverted views, fearsome Sri Haruka, I pray for your long life. As long as this earth, Mount Meru, sun and the moon endure, may you remain secure, invincible on your vajra throne in the celestial mansion of Patala, Avalokiteshvara's delight, your secret body, speech, and mind forgive her chains. Through the grace of the three deities of long life and the power of the truth and masters, Yidams, Buddhas, and Bodhisattvas, may all that we have prayed for be blessed and so accomplished without any obstacle. Oh, my home. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's worth reading again. Do you want to do it again? No, we don't have time. But that was good. <laughs> Jami and Kenshi, he was uh, a Shakyalama, of course. Yeah, so the Kenshi's are. So uh, Dalai Lama's received many long life prayers from all the different teachers um, and uh, practiced with all the different teachers. So it's very important in our tradition to be, uh, we say, unbiased or rime. So uh, everyone that's doing sincere practice, we respect, right? We don't. Um, we don't criticize. We say, if this leads you to liberation and realization, we support your path, right? Yeah, good. So, do we have this, like, short thing? So, uh, we'll do this just, like, three times, or maybe seven. <laughs> so, uh, some teachers have what called name mantras. So it's like if you're, it, I, I call like name mantras like your nickname, right? So if you call someone, uh, and then then by their nickname you know you're close, right? Your kind of family name, like that. So like Mani, like Chenrezig, 
the Buddha of Compassion, uh, Om Mani Pimi Hung. Uh, Mani Padma Dual Lotus is the nickname, close, the close name, right? So this is, the Dalai Lama has a long nickname. <laughs> I'll read out slowly so you hear. Om Agru Vajadara Bhattaraka Manjushri Vagindra Sumati Jana Shashana Dara Samudra Sri Bhadra Sara Siddhi Hum Hum. All right, we'll do six more times. Yeah? So I'll give a class soon, maybe this year, on like what the para means and what the mantra means. Because people should know, right? Okay. But for now, we're just thinking this is the nickname. <laughs> Om Agu Vajudara Bhattaraka Manjushri Vigenda Sumati Jana Shashandara Samudra Sri Bhadra Sarasiddhi Om Agu Vajudara Bhattaraka Manjushri Vigenda Sumati Jana Shashandara Samudra Sri Bhadra Sarasiddhi Om Agu Vajudara Bhattaraka Manjushri Vigenda Sumati Jana Shashanadara Sumadra, Sri Bhadra Sarasiddhi, Hum Om Agu Vajudara Bhattaraka, Manjushri Vagindra Sumati Jana, Shashanadara Sumadra, Sri Bhadra Sarvasiddhi, Hum Hum. Om Agu Vajudara Bhattaraka, Manjushri Vagindra Sumati Jana, Shashanadara Sumadra, Sri Bhadra Sarvasiddhi, Hum Hum. Om Agu Vajudara Bhattaraka Manjushri Vagindra Samati Jana Shashandara Samudra Sri Bhadra Sarvasiddhi. Om Agu Vajudara Bhattaraka Manjushri Vagindra Samati Jana Shashandara Samudra Sri Bhadra Sarvasiddhi. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.